Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. It's our wrap of day two of the first test of the Ashes. I'm Menes. I'm joined by Paul Dennett. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? Doing well, thanks. A thrilling day of cricket yesterday. Day one was fantastic. Day two equally as gripping. Australia end the day. Five for 311, just 82 runs behind England's first innings, eight for 393. The day was highlighted by a fantastic century by Usman Khawaja, who ended up 126 not out, but also a frustrating day for England, who let four chances slip through their fingers, which may have given them a much stronger position in the match. Paul, we'll get into the details of the day, but what a century from Usman Khawaja. He's 15th at test level. He remained not out at the end of stumps. Not only a fantastic innings, but vital. Absolutely. <clears throat> but um, look, just let me say one thing before that. I have to get this off my chest. Um, I missed the first uh, our first review last night, uh, COVID for the first time, which is bloody frustrating because I tried so hard not to get it. But the one thing it did, it spared me, it gave me one day's um, extra without having to say this. You were right, Menas, and I was wrong about Pat Cummins' captaincy um, on field tactically. I, I just thought that day one, his propensity to put the field back right from the start and allow England ridiculous numbers of easy singles. The 26 singles in the first hour was a complete mistake. And the thing that's really annoying is that he thinks he's done the right thing. Uh, he thinks that they absorbed the pressure and that they um, prevented England from enacting true baseball. Whereas in, in reality, I don't remember remember any instances of players crashing it to the sweeper and getting frustrated that they didn't hit it for four. All I saw was lots of good balls being defended and batters gleefully taking singles. I think it was a very, very poor day tactically. And as I said, frustratingly, they think they've done the right thing and they're not going to learn from it. But yep, um, I now stand corrected and I agree with you that Cummins, at least on that display yesterday, is a poor on-field tactician. Well, thank you very much, Paul. I will be sending that audio to Jaleesa after what she said on the last show we did together. But um, I also thought at times Australia looked a bit frazzled um, against e England, which is fine when they're coming hard at you. But I think one of the hallmarks of Pat Cummins and his team is that they often remain calm. And I thought on that first day, you could just see getting to them a little bit. I think they actually bowled pretty well. I mean, uh, I, I think, look, I don't want to be sounding too curmudgeonly. Maybe my COVID's making me grumpy, but I think it was a terrible pitch for cricket. Um, that, a stinker. Um, yeah. And, and uh, I said it on a, a podcast a, a week or two ago how um, that the, there seems to be a bit lacking in some science in preparation for pitches. I saw an interview with the groundsman a few days before the match, and he said that thing that they all seem to say that, oh, unless you've actually prepared pitches, you, you, you can't really comment on it. No, nonsense. Um, I don't think it's that hard, and I think that it shouldn't have been that hard to. This pitch, this pitch has the, all the the bad qualities of it's flat, um, yet it's got not not much pace in it either. It's got some sort of areas of the of the worst of the MCG pitches. Now, it is starting to take some turn, and um, you know it, it's not as bad as that 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 MCG pitch. But I thought it was a dis, a disappointing pitch. And I think that Australia actually did well to take eight wickets um, uh, for on the first day and. Um, they kept England to that relatively manageable total, not because of their negative tactics, but because 
in amongst some poorer bowling, like Boland bowled some of, some of the poorest spells I've seen him, they bowled actually pretty well. So, um, um, yeah, I just wanted to get that part off my chest as well. I think we can probably now move on to uh, acknowledging that it was a wonderful innings from Uzi. Yes, and just on the, the pitch, Stuart Broad said after play on the second day that it's probably the slowest pitch he's ever bowled at. He bowled in, in England and said that he criticised the pitch quite a lot. So you're not, you're not Robinson Crusoe on that. If you've got you know, Stuart Broad saying that, then the groundsmen haven't um, done, got the pitch that England even wanted. And day one, they said that it's the lowest amount of deviation uh, in England on a test day of cricket since records began from Crickbeers, which is about 16 or 17 years ago. So, yep, very, very disappointing. Um, and uh, w- while we're at it on day one, I think I think Ben Stokes is a marvellous captain. I think I agree with 90% of what he does. Uh, I do think that that declaration was baffling on day one and that nothing can convince me otherwise. Yeah, they picked up a couple of early wickets on day two, um, when the, the the overhead conditions then suited them. But I suppose they could have always declared at stumps. But I was listening um, in my COVID-induced delirium thinking, oh, God, we need a wicket. We're not going to get a wicket. And then all of a sudden, here, have two for free. Fantastic. I'll take it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And you don't think Nathan Lyon was happy when he saw Ben Stokes calling them, calling them off? He'd just been oh. hit for 20 in and over. And in that sort of period up until stumps, what, there was 20 minutes, half an hour to go, England could have scored 30, 40 runs the way Root was batting. And then Australia starts today, um, day three, even in the same position, still sort of almost 150 runs behind, and the game has a completely different complexion. Not to mention that Robinson was handling it well as well. He can bat. Um, he's not He's not wonderful, but... Uh, the, the the state of the game was that the Australians were kind of cooked and that, uh, yeah, I mean, the I, I suppose the one thing that Stokes could say is that had he not given the instructions that we are going to declare at some point, they probably wouldn't have scored as quickly in the lead-up to it. But I would have just said, let's guys, just keep going. Keep going. By all means, get ourselves bowled out. But I just thought it was a bizarre declaration from a captain that I think may well be my favourite tactically. But you can't agree with everything everyone does, I suppose. Indeed. So at one stage, Australia on the second day with three for 67. We'll get into the details of that. But Kawaja then steered Australia to five for 311. His seventh test century since returning to the side in the last Ashes in early 2022. His first test century in England and a masterful innings, 14 fours, two sixes. To me, I love the way he used his feet to mow in alley. He stayed back. He waited for the quicks. He made them bold to him. It was just a superb innings. And I'm just so happy for him. And I thought his celebration was superb. Um, how he, uh, he, The millisecond it hit his bat, he knew it was going for four. And the joy, the, the dropping of the, the tossing of the bat, I loved it. They mentioned in on BBC radio commentary that it was his second time ever only passing 50 in test cricket in England. And the first was at Lords in 2013. I had been there. Um, I was at Lords in 2013 watching it. It seems like a billion years ago. Uh, I think he got a shocking LBW decision in that game as well. But I really feel um, the satisfaction he must feel that in all that time, the the the, the trips he's had to England have been unsuccessful. Uh, he said in the press just now that he's been getting sledged batting in the nets by English crowd and English crowd telling him he can't play in these conditions. So. It's a life-changing moment um, because he's just taken another step up in the pantheon of Australian batters. And 
you know, the, 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 the criticism, oh, yeah, you can't do it in England. Sure, this pitch has got some characteristics that are different to a typical English pitch, but, uh, you know, you can't deny that he scored a wonderful 100 and good luck to him. Absolutely. I thought the other major feature of the day was the missed chances by England. They had a, a golden opportunity to drive home an advantage and they let it slip through their fingers. Johnny Bairstow missed Cameron Green, who would have been stumped second ball. He went on to make a nice 38, put on a good little partnership with um, Usman Khawaja. Then um, Bairstow missed Alex Carey when he was on 20-odd. Then he missed him. Well, then one went between Bairstow and Root when Carey was 46, not to mention Broad bowling Kawaja in the first over with the second new ball, but it was a no ball. Had England taken those chances, this match could look very different. I'll tell you what I'm very happy about. After um, uh, Bairstow took a wonderful catch to dismiss Labashain first ball, we now had, and then a few overs later, he did a brilliant piece of keeping um, up to the stumps. Um, I think it was one went flashing down the leg side, and he um, took it beautifully. And I was almost about to tweet all those muppets who wanted to um, insist on folks being in the side because you need a specialist keeper. Well, where are you now? I'm really <laughs> pleased I didn't tweet. <laughs> didn't tweet that out. Um, I think to be fair to Best of the three chances that he was then sort of culpable for. I don't. I can't blame him for the third one. I think that one went too fast, and it was just one of these ones that's always going to go between keeper and slip. But yeah, the other two were were, were really poor. Um, and I always say though, do you know that folks would have caught them if someone could give me some numbers to prove that? Um, you know, that's the debate we always have. But uh, yes, and the no ball. Um, it's starting to happen again, where where there's an oversized number of wickets being taken from no balls. And it's a possibility, I think, that maybe the, the third umpire, when it's close but not a no ball, hasn't got time to scrutinise it and so is just sort of incentivized to say, OK, well, we'll let that go. Yet then if that same ball had taken a wicket, then they do scrutinise it. So it's a sort of like um, a lesser bad version of the bad old days, but it's it's kind of returning to that. And I don't think it's acceptable. And I think that for a spectator losing the two wickets that Cummins took during during the World Test Championship final was deeply unsatisfying. And although as an Australian, it was a delight to see Kawaja returned, it was a wonderful delivery from Stuart Broad. It deserved a wicket. And the fact that he was half a centimetre over the line, um, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. Yes, it's his own stupid fault for not putting his foot behind the line. But I think that maybe if there, if there is that thing of, oh, well, if it's a no, if it's close, but you can't be sure, just do nothing. Maybe they should go the other way and say, if it's close, but you haven't got time to be sure, call it a no ball so we can, um, uh, you know, try to educate the bowlers once again. I'd also be happy to bring in a, um, the free hit for the next ball um, in test cricket as well. Same. I, I think a free hit should come into test cricket. Absolutely. And I think that'll stop bowlers um, doing it as much because there needs to be harsher penalties. I think the bowlers just have to take res uh, responsibility. Sorry, I just think the bowlers have to take responsibility. Like I, you know, if Broad can't keep his foot behind the line, he's a goose. Same with Cummins. What they should do is actually paint the line an inch back um, and tell bowlers that's the line, but don't tell me the real line's an inch further forward. But, yeah, absolutely they should fix it. Like, you know, the, the, the bowling coaches, um, every single bowling coach in the world should be sacked because they've all not allowed this to be fixed. Um, plenty of bowlers never bowled a no ball because they realised it wasn't worth doing. But, um, and the reason that I would like to say to people is, oh, you can't bring in a free hit to test cricket. I say the reason I want to bring it in 
is because I'm a traditionalist. And back in the old back foot no ball days, you heard the call, you could have a, a crack at it. This is the closest we can bring back to that. Because So I want to bring the free hit into cricket, into test cricket, because I'm a traditionalist. And I think that was one of the turning points of the day. You had Carey dropped by Bairstow off route, and then next over, Broad gets Kawaja off the no ball. And for all of Australia's good work, they could have finished the day six or seven down, over 100 behind, with England you know, having a pretty strong advantage in the match with Australia having to bat last. Um, so, yeah, crucial stuff from England there. But just, just going back to the day, beginning of the day, Paul, I mean, I think we saw... The, the vagaries of the English weather on display. You know, we had the first day bathed in sunshine. It looked a very benign wicket. The ball wasn't seeming or swinging. But then the second morning, bit of cloud cover, and all of a sudden the Duke's ball does start to move um, slightly more than on the first day. Yeah, um, it was quite stark, uh, the, the difference. Um, and... I think also some credit has to be given to the England bowlers. They are more um, swing bowlers than the Australians, certainly the Australians in this lineup. Uh, but Anderson was noticeably swinging it more. And, and um, I, I thought that the the ball that dismissed Labuschagne first ball was a fantastic piece of bowling from, from Stuart Broad. I know that there's been some criticism of, um, of Labuschagne for playing it when he didn't need to. Um, Ricky Ponting in commentary made the point that he brought that um, Stokes had brought a couple of fielders uh, into catching positions on the leg side to give every indication that it was going to be one that was attacking the stumps, and that Labuschagne may well have thought halfway down the pitch, um, you know, his instinct might have been this is probably going to swing in. Hence, he played at it, and by the time he realised it was swinging away, it was too late. He nicked it through, and Bairstow for once took a a, a freakish, not a freakish, a very good catch. So. I thought it was a fantastic piece of bowling. It was a wonderful piece of drama as well. The, the, the two wickets and two balls. The crowd was going off at Edgbaston. It was it was loud. It was awesome. I'm sorry to say, David Warner, if you're listening, but Stuart Broad picked up David Warner for the 15th time in Test cricket, and it was a disappointing shot because I think Warner had played well up until then. I did like the Australian attitude of let's just get through this little period where the clouds overhead and it'll flatten out. But he played at a wide one. I thought he lost his shape. Um, it, it wasn't a controlled shot. And in the end, he just dragged it onto the stumps. And that had Australia basically two for 29, Warner and Labuschagne in two balls. Steve Smith comes out. And then we saw some strange captaincy. Harry Brook took the ball. First change on the second morning instead of Ollie Robinson. I was scratching my head because Brook is not a great bowler. Yeah, but I, I loved it. I, I, I think that part-timers don't get enough. And there was one over, um, considered only one run. It was tidy enough. And I just found the, the reactions from some of the cricket people instructive. Like Ricky Ponding's almost um, apoplectic. Like he, was, he found it funny, but he just could not understand uh, why they might do that. And I just think that sometimes cricketers are a little bit too um, straight up and down in the way that they approach things and that, it's the sort of thing that could take a wicket. And I, I think it's emblematic of um, Stokes's captaincy. I'm not going to always agree with everything that he does. But as I said, he's fast. I'm, I'm starting straight away. I think he's, he's just about the best tactical captain I've ever seen. He's going to make a few mistakes, though. I don't think this was necessarily a mistake. It wouldn't have been what I had done. But I, it was worth it just to see everyone um, in the cricket world who's, you know, the the, the um, very, very orthodox um, to, to, to suddenly get, Spit, rendered speech, the spit like I am now, um, by it, um, was a bit amusing. 
Yeah, I think Stokes' captaincy is overrated. I just think he just tends to throw a lot of stuff up in the air and see if any of it lands. It doesn't seem to be much sort of brain power behind it, from my point of view. I could be wrong. Um, I think that things like – no, I just think that he's got a more aggressive bent and that things like keeping the field up when Ali was being um, struck for repeated boundaries ultimately worked and that they got the wicket of Travis Head, which we'll come to – and I think that there are some things like, yeah, declaring early and, yeah, there's an element in what you say. But I also sometimes think that sometimes also works in cricket, that the, the unpredictable and the random can actually be um, worthy of worthy of giving a go-to. Yeah, but I think if you're Steve Smith, I get that, okay, you don't want to get out to Harry Brook. But if, if you've just come to the crease, still your footwork's, you know, you're just getting into your innings, would you rather face Harry Brook or Ollie Robinson? So, um, I, anyway. Um just on Stokes, though, he he came on to bowl before lunch. Thought he looked a little bit ginger, and I'm I'm worried how he's going to hold up over the series. But he did pick up the big wicket of Smith when the score was on 67. Smith went for a slow 16 or 59, and he was squared up. It was a, I wouldn't say almost came out of nowhere. It was he just it was a weird shot from Smith, just front on hit plumb in front, and uh, he was out. Yeah, and he clearly didn't like the decision, but um, I, it was absolutely plumb. I, I was disappointed in some of the press that they were saying that actually missed his pad. No, he hit the flap of the pad, and I can understand why Smith would be surprised to be given out by one that hits the flap of the pad. But on day one, he was agitating for a, um, a couple of reviews that were clearly not out. I don't think that he's the most trustworthy when it comes to the decision and it kept a bit low. It was all three reds. It was a very, very good decision from a couple of, from Maria Erasmus that they haven't had the best game. I don't think the umpires. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that's Smith being Smith, isn't it? That he stum- sometimes begins by just being rather defensive. Uh, I'm sure that if he'd gone out and had a T20 mindset, it was interesting when he did face that over from Harry Brook, he did nothing. If he'd gone out there with a T20 mindset, he might've cracked him for a couple of boundaries. Um, but, he played that way a week ago in the World Test Championship final and scored a century. Yeah, and he did soak up at that time while the ball was nipping around. And But I, I must admit, when he went and the score was three for 67, I was very nervous because Australia's still a long way behind. But then a beautiful counter-attacking half-century from head, 50 off 63 balls. He scored eight fours and one six. As you mentioned, he was out trying to hit Moen Alley for a boundary and mistimed it to mid-wicket and caught by Crawley. But another fine innings. I've got a question for you. I know you're um, a coach of cricket and you're much more um, astute with regards to the sort of the fundamentals of batting. Whenever I read Bradman, it was always that when he advanced to the spinners, it was the, with with the intention of actually getting to the ball, not on the half volley, but on the full, and then punching it um, along the ground for four. The, the the notion that because the um, the field is up, it's it's good to attack Mo and Ali straight down the ground. I agree with that. And these days they have the power and the the, the desire to hit a lot of sixes. So yeah, you get two extra. But is it not worth them actually thinking? Wouldn't it be better off trying to get to the ball on the full than just punch it straight down the ground for four rather than trying to hit sixes? I just don't think that's the way they play now. I mean, I think so. They'd obviously like to get to the pitch. You can see the one head got out. He just didn't quite get there. Um, but, yeah, I think that's – yeah, I mean, I think that's obviously hitting along the ground safer. But, you know, But these... also getting to the full rather than the half volley. I know that you then 
you get into that halfway zone where you can almost york yourself. But it just seems a strange thing that they never try to do that to me. Well, I think Kawaja tried to do that a lot. And that's one thing that impressed me impressed me about his innings. I think he tried to get to Moen Ali a lot on the full or on the half volley, and he saw him yorked himself um, a couple of times. So head, was out, so head was out for 50, and then two balls later, as I mentioned before, Green was missed uh, stumping off Ali by Johnny Bairstow. So when Head was out, the score was four for 148. Then Green and Kawaja put on 72 to take the score to five for 220. Green got an absolute corker from Ali that spun between bat and pad. That'll give Nathan Lyon something to think about. Big time. Um very much. It's uh, I I I think it's a fascinating. We've got a fascinating three days ahead of us. So I still I jumping the gun, but I know there's a bit of weather around. But I can't see this being a draw. No, because I think Stokes will set Australia a target. That's the way he plays. Whatever the target is, Australia will be chasing something on the last day, and he'll say, "Have a go, you mugs." Um. So yeah, so almost plays oh. it like a, a like a a lengthy white ball game that um you know. Ordering the flat pitches is, well, um, I'm not going to allow it to be a draw because at every opportunity, I'm just going to drive the game forward, which is what he did with that um, that thirsting declaration as well. So it was around this time I saw on Twitter, uh, Dan Daniel Cherney from the um, News Corp tweet out that um, there were chants going up about Rolf Harris from the Barmy Army. Now, Paul, did you see this? I didn't, but it totally stands with what I would expect them to say. That um, they was they was they were saying that um, Rolf Rolf Harris, Harris is one of yours. Now, <clears throat> I have a real problem with this, Paul, and uh, I'm curious where you land on it. My issue is I actually don't mind fans going to the cricket, and if they want to be a little bit of a knob, that's fine. I don't think it's very edifying. I think it's poor behaviour, but that's that whatever. But when you are doing something like that, where there are victims involved of sexual abuse and you are making a joke of it at the cricket, I think that is in terribly poor taste. I, I can see your point. Um, honestly, it didn't strike me in that way. Uh, I was more um, bothered by the, the, the time that I get bothered by it is when it's personal to players where, Four years ago, when they were saying to Steve Smith, we, we saw you crying on the telly. I didn't think that was all that nice. But th- this honestly didn't bother me. I actually found it. I, I totally get your point. Um, I, I think it's a societal thing, though, that I think you'll see those sorts of um, Rolf Harris jokes everywhere. Um, and, yeah, your point is a well-made point for for society as, as, as a whole. But I think that they're just being reflective of what it is. And it's just, um, yeah, it didn't bother me at all. Yeah, I just think it was pretty poor behaviour. And, you know, it's like Australian Australian crowds chanting stuff about Prince Andrew or something. I mean, anyway. And then what you're saying also, uh, you know, I think is important as we look at how important mental health is for young men and women that maybe actually it's not good to be yelling abuse at players. And this is all crowds, Australian, you know, Australian crowds yelling at poms as well. So it's not just the English crowds. But, you know, maybe in 2023, People who go to these sporting events have to realise that if you wouldn't say that to someone sitting down at a table having a coffee, you shouldn't be yelling it out. To be fair to the Edgbaston 2019 crowd that I was there for, that was the only thing in the whole time that I thought where they, I didn't like it. 
the rest of it, um, waving the sandpaper at them and all the chants they had about the Aussies. Oh, I thought it was hilarious and it was great atmosphere. You know, the the sort of the, you know, referring to us as convicts and all these things doesn't bother me at all. I think it's fun. Um, but I think if it's going to be, uh, and if a player drops a catch and they have a go at him, that's absolutely fine. I just thought that the, the reference to Smith, um, you know, bawling his eyes out and clearly the worst moment of his life, to then sort of, we saw you crying on the telly. I think that reflects a lack of uh, humanity, I think. And uh, that's gone a bit too far. Others, I'm sure, would totally disagree with me and say, you know, well, he shouldn't have He should have said something about the sandpaper then, mate. Um, and I, I get that. But I, I, that was the only time I thought they crossed the line. I thought the rest, I, I think that the Edge Baston 2019 crowd was by far the, no, equal with the, the Trent Bridge 2013 crowd, the best two test cricket crowds I've ever seen by a long way. Yeah, well, I just hope, um, anyway, I just, yeah, very unedifying from the English crowd to be singing songs about Rolf Harris. And I don't see any humour in that. I don't think it's funny. Um, I don't know where you're coming from on that. I just I just don't, I, I just don't make jokes about sexual abuse. Um, so anyway. Um, all right. So Cameron Green goes five for 220, and then we see a 91-run partnership by Kerry and Kawaja. And this is where I thought Australia grabbed control. Well, not grabbed control, but. I think that they can say they ended the day even with England. They're only 82 runs behind Carey, a beautiful 52. He had his chances, but I thought in between played some lovely shots, supported Kawaja nicely, and looking forward to see if he can go on tomorrow morning and make it a really big one. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Um, you say that Australia is actually on par. I think um, on the betting, Australia's actually um, moved into favouritism now, comfortable comfortable favouritism. Uh, I'm not sure that I agree with that because I think Australia having to bat last, if if the pitch does continue to start to take some spin, uh, could be quite challenging. The forecast for tomorrow um, is very bad from about just after lunch onwards and I'd say diabolical for the final session. Now, England's such a small country that um, weather patterns can emerge and disappear in no time at all. It wouldn't surprise me if tomorrow was a completely fine day. It wouldn't surprise me if the whole day was rained out. It's very hard to predict. But the best likelihood is that we're going to maybe get half a day lost tomorrow. Um, but as you said, uh, there's still plenty of time left in the game. And at some point, Stokes will bat in the, the second innings. And if you thought they batted aggressively in the first innings, in the second innings, they will come out and absolutely wallop it. And I think that's the right thing to do. Because so many times in the past, sides would come out thinking, you know, potentially, let's just say that um, Australia equal the, the total, um, go on to with a lead of about 50 or 100. And by the time with a bit of weather around that England aren't batting until midway through day four, every other captain ever would have been, well, there's not much in this for us here. So let's just sit on the splice and make sure that we don't lose. And in doing so, often then um, gets themselves into trouble. Stokes will come out and say, right, let's just absolutely belt this to pieces and see if we can see if we can declare tonight setting Australia a target and back ourselves to bowl them out. It'll be scintillating. Agree. So Australia finished five for three eleven. Kawaja one twenty six not out. I was sort of reflecting on Kawaja's batting since he's come back into the side, Paul, in twenty twenty two and you know, why he scored seven centuries in 18 tests. And I do think it's a bit simplistic to blame the selectors uh, for dropping him in the past because I actually think he has come back a better player in this last iteration. Firstly, he's been open the, opening the batting, which he didn't do a lot before that. But one thing I think that he does better now is he makes the bowlers 
bowl to him. He did have a tendency to play the odd loose shot outside the off stump in previous passages of his test career. But I feel now he doesn't do that as often. He He's more patient on the off stump. He makes them bowl straighter to him. And then you see him play all around the ground. But, he, you know, he plays lovely off his hip. He plays lovely cover drives. But he's sort of sort of taking out that slash outside off stump. And I do think he's a better player of spin now. Yeah, I mean, I, I find it hard to pinpoint exactly why he has played better. I mean, a lot of people would say that he is now playing with no pressure, feeling as though that every test match is a bonus. And there may, there may well be something to that. Um, I've always said, I don't think that at any time that he was dropped, it was a disgraceful decision by the selectors. But I think on at least three occasions, he was dropped on I, on what I thought were unlucky 50-50 calls by the selectors. And that, um, you know, I, I think at least on one or two of them, that they should have gone the other way and persisted with him for longer. But maybe if they had, he wouldn't have had this sort of um, uh, renewed, uh, reinvigorated approach to batting. I don't know. But when you think of some of the cha- some of the players that they've given more chances to, um, I-, I think if they'd apri- applied that same logic to Kawaja, he wouldn't have been dropped as often. I don't think there's anything malicious in it. Um, and I think that at the times there were, there were good reasons, like, you know, it was in Sri Lanka and he was struggling. And I thought, well, we've got to make a change now. But I think he has been a touch unlucky at times. Just one more thing on the England bowling performance. Moeen Ali bowled 29 overs, two for 124. Paul, Paul Collingwood did the press conference for England afterwards and was saying that, well, he's, he's I think Ali split his um, finger open, his spinning finger, um, because well, certainly bowled 29 overs is a far cry from four overs in a T20 game. So if Australia is batting last, you know, there could be Moeen Ali bowling with a, a split finger and you actually can't tape it up because obviously it's his spinning finger. So um, that's a little interesting sort of subplot because if England goes into that last day without Ali being able to bowl much, uh, Australia will be fancy themselves chasing down something. Well, he's bowled more overs in this match so far than he bowled in the entire IPL. He bowled 26 <laughs> overs in the IPL and he's bowled 29 overs here. So... That's a. I hadn't actually heard that. That's a, a real concern for England. Um, yeah, um, Joe Root might have to play a, a miraculous role in the second innings. We almost got Crick Carey, so don't write off the Root man. All right, Paul. Well, look, let's wrap it up. It's day two from Edgbaston, Australia five for three eleven, just eighty two runs behind, all to play for for both of this side. These sides, the, the, this series is already living up to the hype. Can't wait for tomorrow. Any closing words, Paul? Uh, only that um, I haven't had a go at the Channel 9 app today because I'm not my long run. But suffice to say, there's only one thing wrong with the Channel 9 app, and that is that we're no longer in 2006. <laughs> well, it just cut away when Warner got out. It just cut away to some ad. And I didn't see any replays of Warner's wicket and had to go online. It was ridiculous. All right. Well, it's amazing. We had the same experience. Like I was watching on the app for me and it was, it was different. It mine had, um, it went to an ad and then froze as it so often does on the ad. It's not my internet. It's always when it comes back from the ad, it freezes. So I missed Warner's dismissal as well. And then because you can't rewind, I, I couldn't see it. Um, now, uh, look, I said, I wasn't gonna have a go. A very brief go. If it was, um, the English sky sports, they tweeted out 
lots and lots of wickets that you could see. But Channel 9 don't tweet out anything, um, and nor does Cricket Australia. Maybe there's some sort of de- – they forgot to close a – pay an extra 20 bucks to get the um, the social media rights with the ECB. But in any case, it was as though they were censoring us from having to see David Warner dismissed, which I, I really appreciate those sentiments. Thank you, Channel 9. And it's also so far behind. I actually saw on Twitter that Labashane was out before Broad had even started his run-up. Like, I don't know how far behind it is, but it it might be a minute or two behind live play. So you've got to watch that well, as well. Well, now that I've one last thing as well. I watched the mini of day one, having listened to most of it on the radio because I was too sick to sit up and watch. They have an algorithm that doesn't show <laughs> it doesn't show um, dropped catches. It doesn't show missed chances. It also didn't show the declaration. So you're watching and uh, Joe Root smashes a six and then suddenly David Warner's cover driving to a four. You're like, what the hell happened there? Um, <laughs> but what it does is, because the algorithm's obviously set up for this, three slow motion replays on the mini for every bloody boundary. So even a, just a, a nonchalantly flicked ball off the pads that doesn't need to be seen more than once, you get to see it four times in excruciating detail. But no... Oh, also, DRS, it doesn't show properly either. So there's the... You see the first replay, but they don't show Hawkeye, and you can only tell that the batter was out by you look at the bottom left of your screen and you see that the number's gone up by one. But, yeah, as I said, 2006 is calling, and they're saying we're very happy with your app, Channel 9. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, thanks for listening to Cricket Unfiltered. That's our wrap of day two. We'll be back with a wrap of day three. <laughs> This is a Piccolo Podcast production.